Welcome to another inspirational message from Chowdean Community Church, Gateshead. For more information about Chowdean, visit www.chowdean.org.uk. We hope you enjoy the podcast. absolute privilege to be standing here before you this morning, although it would be fair to say that I am quite nervous. So before we go any further, perhaps we could pray together if that's all right. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for the chance to come before you now and to learn from your word. Thank you that we have the opportunity to do this, and I pray that you would bless the words that have been laid upon my heart and that they would be used for you. I ask this in your name. Amen. Well, it would be fair to say that, yes, I went into panic mode when I was uh, asked to speak, even more so when I was actually given the topic, the chapter, and the verse that I was asked to speak on. Because it would be fair to say, this is the first time I've been properly speaking in church, and to be given a minor prophet, and also given the actual chapter that I was given, it was just like, oh my goodness, panic. But anyway... We're looking at Micah chapter 3, which hopefully I should have on the screen behind me. And I'd like to actually read the chapter, if possible, with you, because it's only 12 verses, and it is worth doing. So, then I said, listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice? You who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. This is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. Therefore, night will come over you without visions and darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners disgraced. They will all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be ploughed like a field, Jerusalem will come a heap of rubble, the temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets. You can probably see, having listened to that chapter, why I went into a wee bit of panic, because it's not exactly a happy, clappy sort of story, is it? It's a bit gloom and doom. But a good friend said to me, 
Take a deep spiritual breath and look with new eyes. So that's what I did. What was God saying to us in this chapter? And I think the realization hit me. If I really believed that this, this Bible was God's word, then it had something to say. It had something to say to me and it had something to say to you. I think sometimes we cherry pick the bits of the Bible that we like. The cuddly waddly bits, the bits you see on mugs or on Facebook as nice little captions, on bookmarks. But we shy away from the difficult bits, the bits that make us feel uncomfortable or perhaps aren't popular to say today. And I was reminded of 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 where it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. I quite like one of the older versions where it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. This, this Bible is actually God's word. So if I really believe that, and if it's true, this chapter and this verse has something to say to us. But we've got to be really careful that we don't pluck bits out just randomly. This is God's word, and it mustn't be treated lightly. We have to be careful not to pick out our favorite verses and not look at the context and what it really means. I was told an amusing story of somebody who actually took God's word a little bit flippantly, and they used to sort of go like this and go, ah, the verse I want. And one day they did this, and the verse said, and he went out and hanged himself. And then he thought, well, that can't be right, so he... Go and do thou likewise. You see my point. You can't randomly take bits of scripture out of here and use them as you want them. You have to look at the context. So what's the context for this chapter? Well, it's the book of Micah. And throughout the book of Micah, we're showing God's love. Now, you probably think that's probably hard to comprehend, bearing in mind what we've just read. But it's true. All the way through Micah, you've got God telling us off and a promise. God telling us off and a promise. God telling us off and a promise. So what's the scene here? Well, I'd like to take you back and imagine that you're sitting in a civic ceremony, because this is very likely where this chapter or this speech was given at a civic ceremony where everybody was dressed up in their finery. They were all sitting there, probably like you are today, waiting to hear something uplifting, something spiritual. They can go home and enjoy their Sunday roast or their equivalent and feel good about themselves. But actually, at this civic ceremony, all dressed up in their finery, Micah starts talking. Oh, crumbs. They wouldn't have been impressed, not one bit. He didn't mince his words. He laid it on the line, and he really went to town. Have a quick look at the chapter. Verse 1 and 2. They are accused of hating good and loving evil. Hating good and loving evil. Then in verse 3, he accuses them of treating people no better than meat in a butcher's. In verse 4, he tells them that their prayers are not heard because they're bouncing off the ceiling. They've got wrong attitudes and they're not caring for people. They're not caring for God's people. Corrine spoke last week about looking at people and the world through God's eyes. They weren't doing that. They were not caring for people. And he wasn't listening because of the evil that they had done. 
In verse 11, the leaders are accused of corruption. They're not just, they're open to bribes. Justice isn't, just isn't happening in that area. And the priests, well, they only talk if they're paid. And then it goes on and talks about the prophets saying that they're telling fortunes and saying that everything is okay when actually things aren't okay. They're just saying what people want to hear. They're not telling the truth. And I wonder sometimes, do we avoid doing that too? So you've got the picture. Civic ceremony, Micah standing at the front, laying it on the line right up until verse 12. The scene has been set, and it's looking pretty grim. The people have lost their way completely. They're not following God. They're corrupt. They're failing to preach the truth and deliver difficult messages, messages people dearly don't want to hear. And they're neglecting those that are in need, people who need them. Then comes verse 12, the final condemning statement therefore because of you Zion will be plowed like a field Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble the temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets could Micah have said anything worse could he have laid it on the line anymore look at it therefore Whenever I see the word therefore, you can guarantee that you can be sure of one thing. God is saying, because of something that's happened before, or because of what I've just talked about, something is going to happen. It's always a link word from what's happened before to what he's going to say next. It's a bit of a da-da-da word, and it certainly is in this case. It's a da-da-da because of you. Everything is going to be destroyed. Because of you, everything is going to rack and ruin. Because of you, Jerusalem is being destroyed. Because of you, the temple, the long-awaited temple, is going to go to rubble. Can you imagine the silence? You could have probably heard a pin drop. They would have been shocked to the absolute core. It would have been one of those tumbleweed moments you see in comedy sketches. Dead silence and tumbleweed going past. Could he have delivered any more of a damning statement? John Bates said in our first week that prophets weren't popular. It wasn't a long-lived job. Can you see why? Because you're giving a message that people don't want to hear. It was not a popular job. And by golly, I reckon Micah wasn't popular after he said this. He had laid it on the line. And he'd blamed them because of you for everything that was going to go wrong in Israel. So, here we are. How would you have felt if you'd have been sitting hearing that message? How would I feel? think I would have been completely and utterly shocked to the core. To think that I was responsible for something like this that was going to happen, that God's judgment was coming because of something I'd done or my wrong heart or my wrong attitudes. It's all a bit gloom and doom really, is it, isn't it? Or is it? As I said before, all the way through Micah, you've got the negative, then the positive, the negative and the positive, the negative and the positive. But look at verse 12. How can that possibly be positive? Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. 
Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The Temple Hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. How can that possibly be positive? Well, I'm a pretty sort of half full rather than half empty type of girl. Most of the time, my family might tell you that I'm not all the time. But most of the time, I'm a half full, not half empty sort of girl. But even I looked at this and I thought, how can a God of love say he's going to do this? Is this the God that I sing about and read about on a Sunday? How can a God of love be doing this? Is it the same God? Yes, absolutely. And do you know why? Because it comes under the title of a severe mercy. It was a severe mercy. Mercy means compassion or forgiveness towards someone when they really don't deserve it. And this comes under a title of a severe mercy. God always uses severe mercies to turn things around and always for the ultimate good of his people or for his church. Just like a loving parent has to steer a child back onto the course that they should go when they get things wrong, so God does that with us. And I got to thinking, well, are there any examples in the Bible of a severe mercy? And one that popped immediately into my head was Jonah. By golly, did Jonah get things wrong? He wanted to go to Tarshish. God wanted him to go to Nineveh. So what happened? He got on the boat where he wanted to go. God sent a storm. He was thrown overboard. He was swallowed by a fish. And he stayed there for three days before he got thrown up on some land. Now, that's a severe mercy. But I also got to think, why was he in the belly three days? Did it really take him that long to think, yes, I'll do what God wants? Now, I can't stand fish. Some of you who know me know I can't stand fish. I can't stand the smell of fish. Anything that does that, no, I'd want nothing to do with it whatsoever. Can't stand it. I would have been out of that belly in about 10 minutes. I tell you, I couldn't have lasted three days. But Jonah, he was a tough nut, and he wanted to keep going. He didn't want to do what God wanted him to do, and it took him three days to have his heart changed to saying, okay, I'll do what you want me to do, God. My old pastor used to tell me a story, I used to preach it quite often, about a Welsh sheep uh, farmer who was training a young shepherd. And one day they went up onto the hills and they found that one of the sheep had fallen over the side of the mountain and it was precariously balanced on a little tiny ledge and there's a sheer drop down. And the sheep farmer looked over, and the sheep was standing up, and it was bleating, and it was clearly in distress. And the, the, the young trainee shepherd went, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? He went, nothing. What do you mean, nothing? I'm not going to do anything. And he walked away. And he went back the next day, and he looked over, and the sheep was standing up, and he was bleating still. And the, the trainee shepherd said, well, what are you going to do? And he went, not going to do anything and walked away and this went on for a period of say five or six days until one day he looked over and the sheep was lying down and it looked like it was just about to draw its last breath and the shepherd climbed down put ropes around it and brought it back up and lovingly cared for it and restored it and the young trainee shepherd said well why did you do that and he went if I had gone down any sooner when he had any strength of it left itself, it would have either jumped off the ledge in fear that I was coming down, or it would have struggled so much on the way up when it had ropes around it, it would have cut itself to death. I had to wait till it had no strength of its own, and it was completely dependent on me. 
It's like that with us sometimes. God uses severe mercies. Now, sometimes they can be big. Sometimes he just gives us a bit of a rap on the knuckles to remind us where our heart should be. Not saying anything, but a certain person not a million miles from my good self managed to put their brand new iPhone 6 in the washing machine after a week of getting it. Perhaps that was a small reminder to me that perhaps I should be putting my trust and enjoying things elsewhere. God reminds us how important he needs to be in our lives. He wants the preeminence, just like Jeff Foster said the other week. On a very personal level, I often asked why over the last few years, why things had happened to me the way they had. I don't think I ever really doubted that God was there in the things that had happened to me, and I don't think I ever stopped trusting him. And I knew he had a plan for me, but I often asked why. Why? And a friend gave me, or referred me to a Bible reading, and I'd like to share it with you. And it's talking about Jeremiah 18, verse 4, which is a verse in the Bible, and it says, But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped, so he crushed it into a lump of clay and started over again. And the, the reading was this, Stay on the wheel. While you are on the potter's wheel, with the potter being God and you being the clay, consider these two things. The potter's plan and his pleasure are what matter. He has the right to make you into anything he chooses. What matters most is that his plan for your life be fulfilled and his pleasure in you be realized. Can you imagine a potter discussing with the clay what it would prefer to become? No. Only he has the wisdom to make that decision. So instead of struggling with the will of God, rejoice that God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. The potter will not stop until the job is done. God's job would be simple if we were just inanimate lumps of clay. However, rather than giving in to us or giving up on us, the potter keeps working and reworking the clay day after day until we gradually begin to take on a shape he can use for his glory. This sometimes calls for radical action on his part. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped, so he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. God is so committed to his objective in your life that he won't quit even though it means allowing you to be crushed and starting the process over again. So be patient and stay on the wheel. What God has in mind for you is worth it. And when I read that, it was like a light bulb for me. I suddenly realized I needed to be crushed. I needed to be crushed, that's why. And God has a plan. Now, goodness knows what the finished pot's going to look like. But he had a plan, and I needed to be crushed. God often uses severe mercies to send us along his path, not our path, but his path. Severe mercy so that we can build on the right foundation with him, a solid foundation. So, what has this message got to say to us today? I look after somebody during the week, and we often sit and listen to music. And I'm not a Michael Jackson fan. Sorry, guys. But I listened to a song that came on the radio, and the words struck me. 
It was from a man in the mirror. And it says, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. And no message could have been any clearer. Take a look at yourself and then make a change. So I've got some questions for you. Are we right before God as a church? Are we right before God as individuals? John asked us that in the first week, to make ourselves right with God. Have we asked for forgiveness? Have we told him of the things that we've done wrong and asked for forgiveness? Have we committed our life to him? Have we put him in the most important place in our life? Are we harboring wrong attitudes, not caring for people, not loving them, not seeing them through God's eyes like Karina challenged us? Are we refusing to forgive? Are we refusing to forgive those who've hurt us? It's a command, you know. It says in Colossians 3, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, I'm not saying that's easy, but it's a command and it comes from your heavenly father. Are we failing to preach the good news? Are we watering down the gospel and just giving the nice bits out? Are we avoiding saying unpopular things? Do we really believe that we live in a lost world and that people need God's love? Do we really believe that? Are we telling people how it is or are we shying away from that? Are we failing to care for those around us in the church? Are we failing to care in our community? Do we make time for other people? Or do we spend more time on Facebook or watching the television or doing something else that actually it's a bit nicer to do? Do we make time for people? Are we being unloving, uncaring? Are we spending all our time criticizing others, people who might be working hard for the, for the God that they love? But do we just criticize their efforts? Are we being uncaring? Are we putting money or our job or anything before God? Am I, or are you, demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit? There's a list in Galatians 5. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we want God to use us, if we want God to bless us individually and as a church... We need to change our hearts. We need to pray to demonstrate these. We need to put aside our old hurts and anything that we're relying upon as a foundation that is not God. Are we putting God first in our life? Now, I don't know everybody's circumstances. It may be that you've gone through a severe mercy. I don't know. If you have, be encouraged. God is a God of love and he wouldn't have put you through that if he didn't love you and if he didn't have a plan to mold you into something he wanted. If you haven't had a severe mercy, be thankful, but still take a look at yourself and ask the same questions so that God can use you. Let God be able to say, instead of, because of you, there's destruction, because of you, there's ruin. Let God be able to say, because of your love, because of your joy, because of your peace, 
because of your forbearance, because of your kindness, because of your goodness, because of your faithfulness, because of your gentleness, because of your self-control, I will use you and I will bless you. So as I ask Paul to come back up, I'd like to tell you about a quote that I see um, when I go swimming in the Bladen swimming bars. It's on the side, and as I power up and down, trying to get this pot to look a bit better, um, there's some lines, and it says this. I think it's attributable to, to Mother Teresa, and it says, Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow is not here. We only have today. Let us begin. So I would like to leave you with a challenge. Let us begin. Let us change our old hearts, our old habits, the way we've thought about things, forgive where we need to forgive, love where we need to love, and change. It's a challenge. Shall we just pray about that? Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity that we've had to look in your word. Lord, challenge us and give us the strength to put aside old hurts, old habits, and turn afresh and build on a foundation that is of you, Lord. We commit it to you and pray for your strength to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. This is the end of this message. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about our church, please visit www.chowdean.org.uk and please take a minute to rate our podcast on iTunes.